Pumping once. Now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has it. He's going in for a touchdown. The ball will win the game. (laughs) Throwing deep down the left side. Slaughter is open. He got the ball. My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan, living the embodiment of a true hard knock life. My name is Thelonious7 and you, you are listening to Straight No Chaser on the DBN Network. It's been two months since we've heard that Baker Mayfield is a Cleveland Brown. And we've had the chance to see a mini camp, some OTAs, in the opinion of local media members, you know, circulating through various electronic channels. And earlier this week, Mike Hogue highlighted an interview uh, that Colin Cowherd conducted with Cleveland's own Baker Mayfield. And I would imagine that most of you have heard this clip, and it's basically not news to Browns fans, but it's such a good clip that I wanted to run it again for you before I shared my thoughts on what is clearly a cautionary tale. You're playing Ohio State. I watched every snap. You were, you know, gloriously talented guy, right? And then I see this play right here. Now watch this, Baker, and you throw a touchdown, and instead of, now I don't like this. I'm going to tell you right now, how come you're not, what? Where are you going? Where are you going over there? Our band is over there, our student section's right there, and then straight back to our sideline. What about your team? Did you watch the rest of the game? I watched the whole game. You did? So you saw me celebrate with my teammates like the three touchdowns before that too? I don't like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. You pulled the one clip of me running right there to our fans and people that traveled well to that game, first of all, and then you didn't show the rest of the clip of me going to our sideline? No, no, no. You go, well, you no, have to go to the sideline. You you're not going to go to you a didn't. hospital. Well, where are you going to go after the touchdown? You're not going to go... Well, you're acting like I just ran away from everybody. Well, you did, but then you came back and circled to the sideline. This is a, what is a five-second clip of you showing me, and then I'm off the screen right there? I'd like you to be with your teammates. Uh, watch the rest of the game, I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know you went back to the sideline. No, no, no. I'm, go Watch the other touchdowns. I got very excited on that one. So you think my accusation that this doesn't... This isn't the fact that I feel like you're going for the fact that I'm not a team guy. I'm selfish. Is that what you're shooting at right here, or what? Um, it is a... No, I don't think that. I think you... I think sometimes your judgment's just a tad off, and I think the NFL's a judgment league, because the, the game is so fast. Mm-hmm. You have to make... The windows get really, really tight and really, really small. You gotta make decisions really, really fast. In college... You got that Orlando Brown guy, got a little yeah. more time. I don't love that decision. I don't love it. The celebration? Do you I, see what people do in the league now, celebration-wise? Hip thrusting, not a fan. <laughs> not a big fan of hip thrusting. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like when Antonio Brown's <laughs> doing that stuff. I'm not into it. You know what? Have you, do you have your celebration? Uh, and no, I, I have nothing. I have nothing. You're just going to give the ball to I, Apparently, I think I need to just run away. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got to come clean, though, guys. I got to come clean. Initially, my opinion was a lot like Colin Cowherd's here. Like, at the beginning of the draft process, I was basically calling Baker Mayfield a jerk and a knucklehead. And it is for a lot of the same reasons that Colin tried to go after him in this interview. And to be fair, 
he is a little bit vulnerable for some of the things that he's putting on tape. But what I felt in this process is the Browns had to really bet the hell out of Baker Mayfield before selecting him at one. And, and it appears right now that they did. If there's any question, any question at all about the reason that he was able to win over the front office, it's been addressed by the way Baker Mayfield acquitted himself in this interview. <laughs> Mayfield's past, you know, to say the least, is a bit checkered. Uh, particularly the way he handled himself in Kansas on that fateful Saturday afternoon. Suzanne Halliburton, uh, a writer from the Statesman uh, newspaper out of Boston, Texas, kind of Big 12 country. Well, she quotes Mayfield as accounting for his actions after the game by saying, Hey, I got caught up in a competitive game, a chippy game. What I did today, tonight was unacceptable. But I am a competitive player. What I did was unacceptable, so I apologize. It's disrespectful. It's not the example I want to set. It's not the legacy I want to leave at OU. I truly do apologize. Of course, he's apologizing uh, for the chippy and heated action that happened during the game against Kansas where he apparently mouthed profanity and grabbed his crotch. And in the end, it it obviously was his part of a tit-for-tat with Kansas and Kansas' blatant disrespect of things that you would do in a game. Basically, Kansas players were getting called for late hits against Mayfield in the first half. And Mayfield was shouting at the Jayhawks fans. And in the end, this video of him grabbing his junk and looking kind of aggressive... (laughs) was circulating and in the end Suzanne Halliburton continued with more examples that she felt expressed Mayfield's not really responding to these slights in an an appropriate way he said that his in-game conduct has been in question all season but I think a lot of these things are not in-game examples basically he's talking she talks about the way that he plants the Sooners flag at midfield and uh, how he was taunting players at Baylor and Waco and was wearing a t-shirt mocking Texas Tech fans before the Sooners game and throwing at players running through his passing drills at TCU. Those are basically not necessarily things that are happening on the field or during the game. They're things that are happening around the game with Baker Mayfield getting a little too aggressive or a little too excited about being slighted or about being treated in a way that he feels isn't appropriate. But looking back at this interview with Colin Coward, I'm really impressed with the way that Mayfield stays composed and thinks quickly. He's not going to be slighted, and that's fair. But there's a ton of similarity between the battle that OU had versus Kansas on that Saturday and the discussion that Baker Mayfield has with Colin Coward. In both cases, Baker Mayfield is the heavy favorite and he's going into what becomes a hostile environment. What strikes you about how the story goes is after the game, the dialogue and the narrative seems to be that Baker Mayfield is a jerk and what a jerk this guy is rather than how much better OU is than Kansas at football. And is that fair? Absolutely not. 
But it's clear that this whole narrative could have been aborted by Baker Mayfield simply taking a better tact in how he responded to the slights. What I like about this story in particular is after this interaction, the story isn't, wow, what a Baker, what a jerk Baker Mayfield is in interviews. Or that volley of discussion was extremely contentious and hard to watch. And really, the way that the story started, it looks like that's how Coward was trying to trying to make the story be. Make the story about it being contentious, maybe even a little bit hard to watch Baker Mayfield squirm his way through these accusations. Colin, Colin Coward is basically trying to ambush Baker Mayfield. That's kind of the story he was looking to generate. But after this interaction, the story is just as Mike Hogue stated in the tagline. Baker Mayfield roasted Fox Sports 1's talk show host Colin Cowherd. That's exactly what happened. And there's your story. It's a cautionary tale to be sure. Because I almost ended up like Colin Cowherd here. If it wasn't for guys like Darth Batman and Easy, I might have had to go down on the same seeking ship. But, you know, however... If I was the one in Colin Cowherd's seat, if I had to go after Bacon Mayfield and try to ambush him for some reason, which wouldn't, but if I had to, I would definitely attack him on his breakfast burritos because this is the one area where Baker Mayfield is truly vulnerable. Kind of reset this a bit. Over the new year, there was some video which emerged of the polarizing prospect making his friends the most unappetizing breakfast burritos that I've ever seen. And I can't imagine the looks of his guests trying to smile and look like they're happy as they're choking down raw flour tortillas and dry, clumpy, unseasoned eggs. It's just so rude. I would like to see Baker Mayfield try to squirm his way out of those accusations. I could just see him, man. Were you with me the whole time? Did you see what I had to work with in that refrigerator? I don't know. I just want to take the opportunity to reiterate that there is, in fact, no correlation between culinary skills and football acumen. The whole point of the whole breakfast burritos thing in the first place was just to say that social media is a point of concern for Baker Mayfield. He's got to be careful who has phones around him and what they're taping him doing. If I had to bet on something that would derail him, it would be something like that. The other big pitfall that I talked about, of course, is dealing with Tyrod Taylor being in front of you. And having a coach that won't play you even when it's clear that you're going to be the best option. Thus far, the jury is out on both of these. He's done actually relatively well delivering the message that he wants to. And keeping those other extraneous items far, far away from the media's attention. He's also said everything right about the lack of quarterback competition. But really, you won't see any fuel for a debate until preseason. And then... Even then, it's probably going to be around training camp time where you're going to see that actually become an issue moving forward. Speaking of training camp, there's actually a possibility that I'm going to be able to attend at least one session of training camp this year. It's not set in stone, but it is a possibility. When I first started making shows, I kind of thought I was trying to do something that local media kind of did. But the more I start thinking about it, when I start to see that I do something different, the DBN network in general is doing something different in the way that the local media does. We're basically not here trying to sell clicks. In some way, what we're trying to do is to give a broader perspective. 
training camp time comes, you're going to have basically these hard knocks take. It'd be like a national perspective, the perspective of the local journalists. And then you're going to have the perspective of some guy who brought a camera and tried to ask some players a few questions you know, that you might not think to ask maybe in general. And if you know my style, I'm not going to try to come off as you know, disrespectful. I want to be respectful, but I, I want to hear what these guys have to say. I want to understand the Browns players, our football players as people, what it means for them to be in Cleveland, you know, if anything. And I don't, you know, I don't really want to harp on the past. You know, it's over. In fact, right now, I'm kind of surprised how little it, it actually stings to have gone through an 0-16 season. That was actually six months ago. It's six months after the fact now. It doesn't even feel the same. At the time, however, it really, really stung. It didn't feel nice then. But at the same time, I kind of wonder how it feels for players who have gone through that year to move past that. Or better yet, are they, are they even trying to look to embrace that feeling as an unending source of motivation? That's something I'm kind of curious about as I, as I move into the idea of covering a training camp from a fan perspective. You know, one thing I was thinking about doing is kind of having a 10-question database of quick-fire trivia questions that I could get if I actually was in front of some players at some point during, you know, at the end of practice when the players go out to, like, meet fans. I would like to have some questions to kind of ask and get some responses to see if I can have something I can contribute to the site in some way. You know, I guess I was going to, maybe I'll share with you maybe the idea I have of some quick-fire questions and maybe some of the longer questions. And then I would put it out for you as, as fans on the site. What questions do you want to hear about uh, from the players? Here's what I have in mind in terms of some of the quick fire questions. The first one would be something like this. Can you name a business on the east side of town? What kind of a drink do you look for when you go to a party? What's the name of the drink you're looking for? What three songs would you blast on the radio on the road to the game? Something like that. Quick fire questions I could just shoot out there. Uh, kind of longer term questions, long questions that I might get of a little bit of a, an answer, a thought out response for. Would be questions like, how do you feel about microwave steak? When you read pro football focus rankings, do you feel like that kind of stuff is accurate? Or do you feel that fans disrespected players when they participated in the protest parade? I don't know if these are good kind of questions or fair questions. What do you think? Man, hit me up in the comment section if you have any suggestions or anything you could add to the questions I might ask to players at training camp. You know, in the last month, we've begun to see some optimism in the national media regarding this franchise. This is a story we've all heard before. I mean, you heard... People getting positive after draft time only to get smacked in the face by the reality of the time the regular season rolls around. And I care about what's happening. I'm following it. And in general, I can't get too excited without seeing some tangible results somewhere. We've talked about it before, though. Uh, what John Dorsey seems to be trying to do this year is to take an 0-16 team to the top of the AFC North. This sounded crazy when he first said it. And at first, I believed it was a completely ludicrous proposition. But but now, sitting just outside of training camp, you can ask this question again. 
And, and you know what? I think that Dorsey's closed a lot of ground in the AFC North, particularly in the free agency period. Well, we've had a discussion about that. But in terms of what happened in the draft, I think now is a good time to look at what the other teams in the division did after the draft. Kind of look at the odds for the AFC North. And think of the chances the Browns have to bring to fruition the words spoken by Dorsey. After this draft, the Steelers are still heavy favorites. You would have to wager 260 bucks to win 100 bucks that the Steelers win the AFC North. The Ravens are 4-1 to dogs. The Browns and the uh, Bengals are both tied as 10-1 to dogs. And is that right? 10-1 to to win the AFC North. Should it be better? Should it be worse? You see what the Sharps think. How does our perspective as Browns fans vary? So, I, what I did, I guess, is I, I went and I looked at the the draft picks of our opponents in the AFC North. I mean, during the draft, teams are honest about what they need, about who they are, and about who they want to try to be. The first thing I did is I took a look at the, the, the players that the Bengals drafted. And this year, the Bengals added 12 players to their roster via draft this year. Starting off with first... Tight end prospect Hayden Hurst and Lamar Jackson in the first round. After that, they added Orlando Brown Jr., Mark Andrews, Anthony Avert, Kenny Young, Jaleel Scott, Jordan Lastly, Deshaun Elliott, the safety out of Texas, Greg Sinat, Bradley Bolzman, and Zach Sealer. Twelve guys, and quite frankly, I want to be clear how much I really and truly hate the Baltimore Ravens. They're an awful franchise, and it kills me that Ozzie Newsom of Ozzie Newsom Burden Ford has been the GM for them for the lion's share of his professional career. And it kills me because I loved old 82, the Wizard of Oz, catching passes for like a million games in a row for the Browns. And I remember Nev Chandler, good old Nev Chandler, Every time he caught a pass extending that streak, he would say, and the beat goes on. Man, Nev Chandler. Uh, Sorry, but back to the Ravens, man. I hate it when I look at a draft class, and I wish that the Browns would have ended up with a lot of players they were selected. And there's two players in particular who I like from this class who I really feel like they got a great value for. And really, generally speaking, the Ravens did a great job in getting excellent value for the players for their selecting them. Every single one of them. It's pretty good value. I would say maybe there actually might be one that I'm not in totally in love with, and that's probably Hayden Hurst at the top of the draft. I personally would have gotten Goddard there. That's just me. But in the end, a lot of the players I got were at good value. But the two guys that I really like from their draft class were Deshaun Elliott and Jaleel Scott. You got to love what Deshaun Elliott did on tape. Now, he looks like more of a strong safety type, but he was a really versatile player and showed he could be a playmaker on defense. Love him in the sixth round. Jaleel Scott also might be slightly overdrafted where he went, but that's probably nitpicking because he has the ability 
and decides to go get contested balls in the red zone. Neither of these players have elite or explosive traits, but they both have excellent sides for their position. Pretty much indicate the kind of identity the Ravens are looking to build. Represent. They have two outstanding tight end prospects, which I'm not surprised that Ozzie Newsom made that a priority in his last draft. I'm not enamored with Hurst, as I mentioned. Would have taken Goddard. But Andrews in the third is another example of the kind of value this guy got at literally every pick. But as much as you want to talk about those guys, you can't talk about this draft class without talking about the move to land Lamar Jackson at pick 32. It's an absolutely brilliant move for the franchise. The kind of move that really all the teams in the division should have considered. It's a wake-up call for Joe Flacker, who's been all of mediocre over the last few years and has been injured a bunch. And I get the feeling that the Ravens are going to hit on a lot of these picks, and if they do, this draft will be the kind uh, that will help them continue to retool and keep themselves relevant. Some of their core players enter the twilight of their careers. Curious to see the way this QB situation plays out, and man, it's already provided a lot of fireworks thus far. And we're not even in training camp yet. If there's one thing I question about their draft, however, it's how in the world did the Ravens add 12 players to their roster and not at all address the running back position? I don't get it. Alex Collins is okay. I mean, he beat up on us last year. But I think in this draft class, they should have picked a back somewhere, right? Am I right? Do you know what? On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say that this team probably has an 8.5 on this draft class. Not the sparkiest, not the most athletic draft uh, if you take out Lamar Jackson and also Andrews. But big productive guys, big strong guys, and they got great value all the way up and down this board. Moving on to the Steelers, who of course are the favorites in this division. I'm a lot less enamored with their efforts than the efforts that were done by the Ravens. At first overall, they had safety Terrell Edmonds out of Virginia Tech. Terrell Edmonds is a good player, obviously brother of uh, the other Edmonds brother who was selected earlier in the draft. Athletic specimen, solid player. Uh, And the second, uh, I'm sorry, athletic player, solid specimen, I think is a little bit overdrafted at pick number 28, but it is what it is. They then continued with James Washington out of Oklahoma State, paired him up with Mason Rudolph out of Oklahoma State, which is an interesting pairing, I would say. Very prolific, very productive guys at Oklahoma State. In the third round, they added Chuck Okafor, Okorafor from Western Michigan, the tackle prospect. They added Marcus Allen and Jalen Samuels and Joshua Frazier on day three of the draft. And looking at this list, there aren't a lot of players that make me particularly envious. I mean, Edmonds at 28, I was telling you, it's a reach to me. Rudolph and Washington were interesting, interesting dynamic, interesting getting players from the same university. But I kind of think that they're both wasted picks. I don't really think that Washington has the speed to win over the top in the NFL the way that he did in college. 
Rudolph kind of makes sense as a successor. You know, God knows I don't have any love for Landry Jones or Dobbs. And if I were the Steelers, I'd want to add a quarterback too. Only the one I'd want to take was one with some better arm strength. And if I thought he was accurate, I might be happy. And really thinking about what the Steelers did, if they would have added a guy like Lamar Jackson, you could only feel how much better this draft might be for them. But I don't know. Terrell Edmonds, they had a chance to do it, right? I just don't think that... Um, I don't think that Mason Rudolph is nearly the quarterback that Big Ben is. And uh, if they're trying to lowball a quarterback for the future, and I think they've been doing this for a while now, I don't think this is the kind of guy that's going to do it. Nor do I think this is in a, a successful environment to develop a young quarterback. I'm slightly curious to see uh, how Jalen Samuels does. As he has a ton of experience doing a lot of different things. I think Jalen Samuels is a running back, but you know, who knows? We'll have to see how they do with this guy. Let's uh, consider the team at the great state of Kentucky brings to the AFC North. Of course, that's the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals in the first round added Billy Price. They also got Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard in rounds two and three. Malik Jefferson, Mark Walton, Devonta Harris, Andrew Brown, Logan Woodside, the quarterback out of Toledo, Rod Johnson, and Auden Tate. You know, the Bengals needed to get up front, uh, a little bit stronger up front, like I was saying. And uh, they did just that by selecting Billy Price, who now is cleared to play already from his pec injury in uh, the combine process. You know, I feel like he might have gone a little bit high, but... You know, cause of, just because of the injury and the uncertainty surrounding it, surrounding it. But they clearly got their guy. And this looks like it could be a great selection for them at 21. They also got Bates. And I actually like him and Hubbard with a great value, I would say, at the top of the third round. I'm not a huge fan of Mark Walton. And I'm not really sure how he's going to translate to the NFL. But they were able to add Devontae Harris out of Illinois State, which is a you know, a guy who has great speed and size for the cornerback position. And they also added Logan Woodside, a guy who's going to be able to potentially back up the red rifle, Andrew Dalton. He doesn't have elite height, but he has surprising agility, and he's a pretty good athlete to go along with his outstanding production at Toledo. He could be a sneaky addition at the end of this class. And to wrap this up... I think the Bengals should be about the same going into the 2018 season. The Ravens could be a tougher out. And I still see the Steelers as the favorites, but they are certainly approaching a drop-off. Yeah, I say that basically every year, but I think it's true this year. Where does this leave John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns? We got seven new starters on offense, health and several new starters on defense. The Browns are poised to be a lot better. But as much as those other guys matter, it's really Tyrod Taylor who is the linchpin to there being a surprise ending for the 2018 season. If he stinks early, the chances are greatly reduced that they can do something special. But if he can get the rock to the playmakers and control the clock a bit this year, they might get a nervous glance from a soon-to-be quickly fading franchise. That is, of course, if the record 
was not at all, in fact, related to the coaching. If that's the case, it's wheels up for Cleveland. And here we go, Brownies. And I don't know, man. I've never been won back by a coach before. You know, once I kind of fall out of favor with a coach, I just don't want to see him anymore. This is Cleveland, right? I mean, how long does any coach with a bad record last? And Cleveland just fires coaches. We fired a coach once with a 30-11 and 11 record. This year, it's pretty much a referendum on rosters, right? It's not even about coaching. On the DBN Network. Take care. Gasson is kneeling at the 17, 37-yard attempt. The kick is up. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double overtime. 23-20. And the stadium is gone for sure. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.